Hey folks, SH1T coming to you live with a recording that isn't live. So I don't know why that is my catchphrase or coming into it, but uh, sports, a little bit of law and order and news at the end. Hope you enjoy it. I will talk to you later. Alrighty then, welcome to your Sport Report, episode 73, in it for the win it, or for the win, whatever it is. Uh, NFL news, uh, Mayfield got into a testy exchange with a reporter, yay for him. Ravens are going to give a Pats the run for their money, Pats undefeated. It's basically San Francisco and New England right now, uh, San Francisco NF- or NFC, Patriots, AFC. Uh, Dalton got benched. Unfortunate for him. Um, Nagy is a horrible kicker. The Bears are just a uh, horrific team right now. They lost on a last-second field goal to tie it or to try to win it uh, in their game this weekend. Uh, Watson got kicked in the eye. And uh, what else? Who knows? Uh, Yeah, let's go with the standings here in the NFL. Uh, As said, the Patriots... Uh, undefeated, they got a two-and-a-half game lead over Buffalo, Jets, and Miami. Dog shit. Uh, Baltimore 5-2, and two, uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati running down. Uh, looks like Baltimore's going to take that one. I don't think any other team's going to get out in the playoffs for the North. Uh, in the South, it's Indianapolis, a half game over your Houston Texans, and then Jacksonville, Tennessee running up in 500. That division is wide open. AFC West, Kansas City, despite their three-game losing streak, 5-3, uh, and three, have a two-game lead over Oakland Raiders. Uh, in the NFC, Dallas leads that shit division, uh, half game over Philly. Uh, the Giants with two wins, Washington with one. Uh, Green Bay seven and one, Minnesota six and two. Both those teams look like they're playoff bound. Uh, Detroit and Chicago still trying to figure it out. New Orleans seven and one, uh, Carolina with the only other winning record in that division at four and three. And then in the West, San Francisco seven and zero, Seattle at six and two. Uh, playoffs looking, unless a team falls off, it looks like Seattle and Minnesota will be the wild cards, depending on if they catch up and pass uh, their rivals. Uh, Rams still uh, in the hunt as well, though, at 5-3. and three. So, you know, plenty of football to play. Um, yeah, is what it is. Go NFL. Uh, yeah, don't let the quarterback stuff. Uh, game 7, World Series. Um, every road team has one. Looks like it's going to be Scherzer. Versus Grinky, I would think those would be the starters. The only question is, I think Verlander would come in for an inning. Uh, Cole would come in for an inning or two. As would Strasburg for an inning. Uh, Corbin, uh, you know, all the starters, all hands on deck um, as it goes. Uh, apparently there was a horrific ball call in Game 5. Um, the Nats manager, uh, Martinez, basically missed an opportunity in Game 5 to get thrown out and rally his team and do whatever, so he... Kind of went overboard, but it is what it is. Yep. But in my humble opinion, he took that opportunity in game six to get himself thrown out in a controversial call 
Uh, apparently the, the batter, uh, name escapes me at this moment, beeline towards first base. He was on the fair side of the ball. Ball was thrown. First baseman got his glove hit by the hip, and they called runner's interference, uh, and he was out. Um, this, not that. Uh, the batsman, everybody said it was a horrible call. I didn't have any problems with the call, probably because that's from I'm from Houston. Not from Houston, but rooting for Houston in this series. But uh, neither here nor there. Uh, next batter uh, put one in the stands, uh, turned a 3-2 lead into a 5-2 lead. Uh, Nats win game 6, 7-2. Game 7 is tonight. Uh, Grinky by versus Scherzer. Uh, the only reason why Scherzer did not pitch game 5 uh, was the fact that he woke up and he, like, was Frankensteining it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Scherzer is going to be this game seven guy. Um, Nats, Astros is on track to be the least watched series, which it's been a great series. But uh, game one was close, and every other game has been a blowout. Um, so, yeah. Nelson Cruz is going to get a $12 million option with the Twins. Yay for them. Go baseball. Uh, in the NBA, uh, nobody really cares. Let's go to the standings. The uh, only thing I'm happy about is that the Lakers keep losing. Uh, Philadelphia undefeated in the Eastern Conference, and then San Antonio undefeated in the Western Conference, along with Minnesota. Every other team defeated. Go Spurs. They must have a weak-ass schedule. Who'd they play? Do, 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 do. They have played the Trailblazers the Wizards, and the Knicks. So, eh, all at home, too. So, they take their first trip to the Clippers. It looks like the Clippers are going to rest Kawhi Leonard for load management. Get it. Uh, NCAA football, uh, for some ungodly reason, the LSU Tigers are ranked number one in the nation for some some reason. Um, don't know why. Uh, it's LSU, Alabama, OSU, Clemson are your top four. Um, and then Penn State is also undefeated, as is Baylor and Minnesota and Southern Methodist for and Appalachian State. Those are your undefeated teams. Uh, A&M coming in in the top 30, getting a couple votes here and there. Uh, they ended up winning their game over the weekend, uh, week nine, who they play, looking at it. Do, 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 Come on, SEC. I love how, how this all set up. Uh, A&M beat Mississippi State 49-30 to 30 in a in a run fest or a, uh, a slug fest. So, go O. They will play um, somebody next week. It should be a win, like, as I said. Should get 7-3 seven, seven before we play Georgia and LSU in the last two games. And they get curb stomped by both teams. Uh, we are going to play UTSA, 2nd of November, 5 p.m. Um, and then it's going to be South Carolina after that. Uh, yeah. Sad Panda. Could have sworn it would have been somebody cool like uh, Vanderbilt or whoever. But no, alas, it is South Carolina. It's a game we got to win. Whilst we go into the Liberty.com Bowl. Uh, MMA, um, so big controversy for UFC 244. Um, uh, USADA said that Diaz popped positive, and Diaz is basically basically made him cower down and said, no, this is not a thing. Uh, so there was 
there was doubt whether the Masvidal Diaz fight was going to go down for the Banff Championship or Bad Motherfucker Championship. It will go down. Um, yeah, he utilized his name to clear himself. Basically, that he tested positive for precursors or something. Um, how it went. So the Rock's got to put the belt on in 244. Uh, McGregor apparently coming back. Um, Donald Cerrone trying to pull a fight with him. That's fine. Cerrone's kind of over the hill. Great fighter. Love him to death. Uh, really enjoy watching him. I think that would be a fun fight for everybody to watch. But I think McGregor would be the favorite in that one. Uh, Adesanya versus Costa. Apparently had bicep surgery. So I don't know who Costa is. But Adesanya, uh, the superstars of the league, taking a fight that nobody knows about. Kat Kinzangano is going to Bellator. Um, Diaz blasts USADA, but says he'll fight Masvidal. Let's read into that one. Um, he cleared uh, for his fight despite atypical finding on a drug test. Uh, yeah, the validity of the test administered by US, USADA. Uh, speaking for the first time since the announcement last week that he was out of the UFC's 244 in the main event, Diaz said Monday on media conference call that he will indeed fight, that he's been exonerated. Diaz said he remained skeptical that there truly had any prohibited substance in his system, going so far as to call it a conspiracy by the UFC. And the USADA um, messed up too with, I guess, John Jones's stuff. They just need, I guess they need to separate from USADA because it's too much. Their uh, testing is too crazy. Uh, I thought it was all made up in a bunch of BS anyways, Diaz said. It's behind us. We can move on. On Thursday, Diaz tweeted he was out of the bout against Masvidal because of a drug test. Result, results he had elevated levels. USADA and the UFC announced Friday that Diaz had traced amounts of the prohibited substance LGD-4033 in his system, but he was cleared of any wrongdoing very quickly. Uh, how convenient. Uh, Diaz tested for amount lower than agreed upon threshold. One of the supplements was tested and came back contaminated for LGD-4033. Diaz, per the UFC, tested for an amount lower than the agreed upon. Then why even flag the test? Uh, Mr. Diaz has not committed an anti-doping policy violation and has not been provisionally suspended, is not subject to any sanctions. Additionally, UFC has been informed by independent experts who have determined that there is unequivocally no appreciable uh, performance-enhancing or therapeutic benefit from the significantly limited amount of LGD, whatever. So wouldn't you think that they would have figured this out before they did all this fun stuff uh, going through? Because when they announced it, he was like, ah, fuck it, I'm out. I quit. And the UFC panicked because that's a big fight for them. Um, And, yeah, so it'll be... Diaz v. Masvidal, 244. Good luck, gentlemen. Uh, in the gambling realm of things, um, I am... Uh, I, so we did a pool uh, for a different site in Rooks 1 and 2, so I don't have those stats for you. But midweek through the season, uh, no spread. Um, just straight up, I'm 56 and 33. Um, 63% winning percentage um, and winning my pool uh, overall. Uh, by just 11 points. Uh, it's me and a kid called Speaking of the Mic uh, are crushing the rest of the competition. Um, so, yeah, 56 and 33. So if there's if it's straight up, listen to me. Um, I, I took the Colts minus five. That didn't work out for me too well. And then I took uh, uh, Oakland plus six, and that did work out for me. Um, so I ended up uh, making a little bit of profit. Uh, well, I broke even that day, and then I took... Um, Miami plus 14, Pittsburgh won by 13. So, you know, step one, invest. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. Um, I, th- I was thinking about taking the Nats in game six. That would have been good, but didn't do it. And uh, that's neither here nor there. So I'll let you know how I go with uh, week 10, week nine for the NFL. 
on the old betting line. I think I'm going to narrow it down, not go five teams in parlay. I'm just going to try to do pick things that I think are winners. There's a bunch of tough matchups this week as well. Um, like Miami plays the Jets. Like, how do you pick that game? Um, let's go with the let's go with the NFL, the bets. See how, see how we go with this one. Finish the old sports up. Nice and neat. Make a uh, beautiful little uh, rotund bow of it. Start with the NFL. Finish with the NFL. Nah means. Come on. Uh, San Francisco plays Arizona. They're the obvious favorites in that one. Houston, Jacksonville. I'm taking Houston in that one. Washington, Buffalo. Take Buffalo. Uh, Minnesota, KC. I'm taking Minnesota due to the fact that KC has Matt Moore at the helm. Uh, Jets in Miami. I take the Jets. Chicago, Philly. I take Philly. Uh, Indy and Pitt. I take Indy. Uh, Tennessee and Carolina. I take Carolina. Detroit and Oakland. I take Detroit. Seattle over Tampa Bay. Uh, Denver over Cleveland. I think I got that one. I think I took Cleveland over Denver. Green Bay over the Chargers. And then New England over Baltimore. Uh, Dallas over the Giants. And the bye teams are Atlanta, Cincinnati, Rams, and New Orleans. So, yeah, there's your your slated schedule for Halloween. All right, on to the next segment. If you don't listen to the Supreme Court cases, which can be dull and very uh, tiresome and troublesome, they're an hour apiece. Um, I highly recommend that you at least read up on them, get busy, whatever the case is, because they are highly informative. And if you know what's going on there, um, I mean, you can argue left and right if it's something that's important or not important, depending on the judicial activists that you talk to. But I listened to a bunch of Supreme Court cases. They're back in session. Yay for them. And the first one I listened to was Peter versus Nanquest. It was pretty boring. It was just... Uh, they were talking about patent lawyering, and uh, if you lose a patent case, you bring a patent case up, do you have to pay all the fees as an application fee? So basically, they argued, does the phrase, all the expenses of the proceedings encompass the personal expenses of the patent trade office when its employees, including attorneys, defend the agency, even if the agency is, like, way out of bounds? Uh, Ramos versus Louisiana. Uh, 14th Amendment fully incorporate the 6th Amendment guarantee of a unanimous verdict. So they were essentially arguing, um, so Louisiana, or sorry, Kansas, in order to, or sorry, Louisiana, in order to get away from, uh, they go to 10-2 verdicts, 11-1 verdicts. Um, they would drop down to a 6-0 verdict, and was that constitutional? Um, I think you would, you would need 12-0, so I sided with the 12-0 argument. Like you need, if you're going to go a 12-0 jury, if you want to convict somebody of murder, you need to get all 12 parties to agree. It's kind of where they were at with that. They were going with 10-2. Sometimes they, I think they dove, dove down even as far as 7-5. Uh, so if you were like, hey, if there's a 7-5 verdict on a murder case, is that constitutional? So I sided with the, sided with the, the unanimous verdict. Even if they drop down to six, so uh, Kaler versus Kansas is the eighth and fourteenth amendments permit a state to abolish the insanity defense. Basically, Kansas had gotten to a point where they were trying separately. So typically, you you probably heard it or, or you've noticed that uh, not guilty by insanity or not guilty by reason of insanity or whatever the case was. So what Kansas was doing is that they were separating 
the, the basically the verdicts. They weren't tying them together. So they were saying, did you commit the crime? Yes or no. And then they would, in, a, in the sentencing phase, they would go into the insanity defense to get them to go to do whatever. So I kind of, I thought Kansas was okay with that. So if you were, regardless of your status of what you did, it was okay for them to assess or adjudicate whether or not you committed a crime with no extenuating circumstances, and then they could decide in the sentencing phase, sentencing phase the mitigating circumstances of whatever's going on. So they were uh, arguing about the constitutionality of that. Um, the two most interesting uh, that came up on the either the 15th of October or the 8th of October were, and if you don't think that these moments are coming, they are. They're in the Supreme Court already. So it was Bostock versus Clayton County. And it was RGGR versus the Equal Opportunity Commission. So I had listened to these in reverse order, so I really didn't understand what was going on with RG, the GR. They were referencing the first case, the Bostock case. And basically it was, um, they argued, argued a technicality. So Bostock versus Clayton County was, does discrimination against an employee because of sexual orientation constitute prohibited employment? discrimination because of sex within the meaning of title seven uh so essentially they were arguing and they argued on a technicality and i agreed with their technical technical argument which they kind of go with most of the times they were basically separating sex and sexual orientation so title seven only uh encompasses you know sex religion race so on and so forth doesn't really go after sexual orientation um and i guess somebody was curtailed or uh fired because they were acting effeminate or they didn't have feminist characteristics. What was interesting that they dove into, uh, would it be discriminatory to fire, uh, uh, somebody from Hooters if they didn't meet certain standards or whatever the case was. And they were agreeing for the most part that, yeah, you could. So like, I don't think that's correct. A company should be able to hire a specific trait that they're looking for. And if you don't meet that trait or it comes to find out that you were hired and then you lied in your application or um, you made a life decision to change your trait at that time and you don't meet that certain trait anymore that they hired you upon, you could be fired. That's not discrimination. You're just not meeting their subset. And they really, they really, really went into depth about how traits versus characteristics or whatever, which kind of dove into the next case, which was the funnest one of them all of the of the seven or eight that I listened to, this was by far the most fun one, RGGR versus EOC. So this was a funeral home fired an individual for being transgender. Um, I don't know the circumstances of it. I don't recall the circumstances of it, but let's get into the question of the day. RGGR, looking, looking, looking. Uh, Does Title VII prohibit discrimination against transgender people based on their status as transgender or sex stereotyping under Price, Waterhouse, and Hopkins? So they reference that case all the time. But the one thing that they did make up, or they they had a conversation or a point to where um, they basically made the parade of horribles argument. If you hear about this, it's like, if you allow this to happen... This is what's going to happen. Ah, the sky's going to fall, whatever the case is, which there was truth to it because one of the sides that argued is if you, if you agree that this is discrimination, then, but like they were asking, but, but for 
basically it's but for discrimination. You wouldn't allow this to happen but for the fact that this person was a man or a woman, right? So you couldn't do that. So if you allowed that to occur, a transgender man, which is somebody that was born a man and decides now that they're a female and goes through all the fun and derogatory, whatever, whatever, could be a woman's health counselor, right? So you could not discriminate and not hire a transgender man based on the fact that they were transgender, have no biological understanding of what it is to be a woman, but you could not not hire them because they identify or, or, or realize their reality is that they are a woman. So in order, like if you discriminate on the fact that you can't hire a transgender man to be a woman's counselor or a sexual assault response coordinator for women or a gynecologist, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, um, then you could do that. And it was making that but for argument. And it was, I kind of, so I argue, I, I supported the technicality on that one. And then I just did not, did not side with the transgender individual. I'm not, a, you'd have to listen to it to find out. I don't recall the specifics of the case when they were going through, but the most crazy thing was that like transgender status does not fall under title seven is kind of what I got underneath that. So Call me a bigot. Call me what you want to. Uh, Kansas versus Garcia. I mean, listen to these cases, folks. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, does the Immigration Reform and Control Act impl- uh, impediently preempt Kansas's prosecution of respondents? Jesus Christ. This is the dumbest case of the eight that I'd heard. Apparently, there was an illegal immigrant that was stealing Social Security numbers. And because Kansas utilized information on a form... Um, I think it was an I-4 or some other form. They were saying that it preempted the federal prosecution of ICE. And because Kansas did that, they weren't allowed to do that. So they weren't allowed to prosecute based on whatever. It just didn't make any sense. They were trying to, they were trying to argue technically on that point. Didn't side with them. Kansas should have been able to do that. Basically hold those individuals accountable. And it was arguing the fact because information was derived from an I-4 form, which says you're not allowed to derive any information from. So I think like, status like your age so could you not ever use the age of the illegal immigrant for prosecution like the way they were arguing it didn't seem that way but that's the way it was uh rostock or roscos versus klein looking for that one going down i write like a small child so going to the r's do 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 r o Rotkiski versus Clem. Does the discovery rule apply to toll and one-year statute of limitations under the Fair Debt Collections and Practices Act? Apparently, um, a guy was unaware that something had occurred, or at least claimed that he was unaware that something had occurred, and the, uh, the fact that uh, he didn't discover that whole thing, he wasn't allowed to prosecute, so they were wondering, hey, does the time roll? If you're not made aware of a crime, should that time go? I don't think if you if you believe that you're not made aware um, you should be able to prosecute something even if it goes outside the statute of limitations. Um, but they were arguing like you could make that case and in, in court. So they were asking to, for it to get knocked back down to the other stuff. And then Mathers versus Valvo. The last one, ABCDFGHIJKLMNOP, uh, Mathers, Mathena versus Malvo. Uh, Montgomery versus Louisiana addressing whether a new constitutional rule announced an earlier decision. Miller versus Alabama applies retroactively on collateral review. Basically, the D.C. snipers, not the sniper himself, but the kid that he was dragging around, was challenging uh, his life sentence due to the fact that the Supreme Court had passed Alabama versus Miller. Basically saying you could not, um, uh, mandatory life sentences for minors was 
cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. So they were arguing that because because Virginia has like a um, doesn't have a mandatory, but it has like a consider statute, and he's still got the sentence, but because they went through the record and it didn't say that he considered, but you kind of assume that he did. And they were arguing like, hey, if you bring it up in court and the judge, like if it's brought up in court, it's con- considered, considered. And they were having that that whole fun argument. But basically, yeah, give him life. Fuck that little kid. So on and so forth. And that is your Supreme Court wrap up for those um, first eight cases for the period. Um, looking forward to listening to some other ones. Listen to them, man. Read. Do stuff. shiatsu massage can you believe this stuff it, it never it never ceases to end never ceases to amaze um obviously first story is that we got we got him folks we got him um Baghdadi is dead um the most number one top wanted terrorist in all of the world was killed of since the last podcast um trump puts it pretty succinctly so i'll let trump take it last night the united states brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice. Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. The United States has been searching for Baghdadi for many years. Capturing or killing Baghdadi has been the top national security priority of my administration. U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a dangerous and daring nighttime raid in northwestern Syria and accomplished their mission in grand style. The U.S. personnel were incredible. I got to watch much of it. No personnel were lost in the operation, while a large number of Baghdadi's fighters and companions were killed with him. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. The compound had been cleared by this time, with people either surrendering or being shot and killed. Eleven young children were moved out of the house and are uninjured. The only ones remaining were Baghdadi in the tunnel, and he had dragged three of his young children with him. They were led to certain death. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. 
He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. His body was mutilated by the blast. The tunnel had caved in on it, in addition. But test results gave certain immediate and totally positive identification. It was him. The thug who tried so hard to intimidate others spent his last moments in utter fear, in total panic and dread, terrified of the American forces bearing down on him. We were in the compound for approximately two hours, and after the mission was accomplished, we took highly sensitive material and information from the raid, much having to do with ISIS, origins, future plans, things that we very much want. Baghdadi's demise demonstrates America's relentless pursuit of terrorist leaders and our commitment to the enduring and total defeat of ISIS and other terrorist organizations. Our reach is very long. As you know, last month we announced that we recently killed Hamza bin Laden, the very violent son of Osama bin Laden, who was saying very bad things about people, about our country, about the world. He was the heir apparent to Al-Qaeda, terrorists who oppress and murder innocent people should never sleep soundly, knowing that we will completely destroy them. These savage monsters will not escape their fate, and they will not escape the final judgment of God. Baghdadi has been on the run for many years, long before I took office. But in my direction, as Commander-in-Chief of the United States, we obliterated his caliphate 100% in March of this year. Today's events are another reminder that we will continue to pursue the remaining ISIS terrorists to their brutal end. That also goes for other terrorist organizations. So you would think a win, right? You would think that's okay. You think we could all coalesce around this. This is a good thing. This is a win. But no, media can't do that. Um, they are pretty upset about the fact that uh, Trump got a win and did all those other fun things. And you never, you didn't hear, I don't recall hearing any of this when Osama bin Laden was taken down. Um, Trump had a different way of portraying the information. That's a guarantee. I appreciate the way that he did portray it. Um, I like the fact that he portrayed the fact that this guy's not a hero. He's not courageous. Um, he died like a piece of shit that he is. So the media goes and kind of has their little spin on it and wah, orange man bad. He is so bad. So yeah, it, here's our first winner of the day. Uh, go at it. Bothered me a little bit. Some of what the president did in, in, in providing detail about taking back to the United States pieces of Baghdadi's body. It bothered me a little bit hearing the president talk about that some of that Syrian oil being ours, right? Because that's what inspires, that's what inspires um, some extremists. So that was CBS News senior national security contributor Mike Morrell 
and he was, quote-unquote, bothered by it. Okay, all right, next one up. Let's see what you got. I wonder here um, if this type of killing only reinforces the ideology of Baghdadi's followers and, in fact, strengthens it. Oh, so if you take out the leader, they're emboldened. They're going to be more dangerous. That's a, it's an interesting theory. It really is. So you shouldn't arrest people uh, for crimes committed because they'll commit court crimes. Or when they're incarcerated, they'll be convinced that the system's out to get them and they'll do it more. Okay. Next one up. My understanding, interestingly enough, is that that mission was accomplished uh, with information supplied by the Kurds. Uh, and as we know, uh, Trump has turned his back and betrayed uh, the Kurds. That's a fair point, Bernie. But as I've said many, many times, if you ever want the Democrats to say anything, just have Trump say the opposite of whatever that thing might be. So stay in Syria forever. Pull out of Syria, says Trump. Well, we got to stay in Syria forever. Arr. Go to the last podcast for the rehash of that one. But uh, on to Cincinnati. Who's next? Samantha, overnight, this news of the raid, the president obviously speaking at great length, sharing incredible detail about this mission in Syria. Uh, what strikes you? What stands out to you? Well, this is obviously a major accomplishment, but from a counterterrorism perspective, the president's engagement with the media on this, Brian, is pretty surprising to me. This is a high-risk period. Immediately after a special operation like this, there is increased risk of retaliatory attacks and risk to human sources on the ground in Syria, for example. The level of detail that President Trump went into, into the, in that press conference increases the risk to sources that uh, may still be on the ground. It's really unprecedented when you think about how much detail he actually went into. And Are you saying it's irresponsible? I think it is irresponsible. I think it puts uh, sources at risk, and it's unnecessary at this point. He could have mm. been much more, uh, much more succinct in what he said. Typically, you have all these talking points scrubbed by the intelligence community to make sure that they don't have the unintended impact of inspiring more attacks. He did try to uh, preclude any image of Baghdadi as a martyr by describing him, I think, as a whimpering dog and a coward and that sort of thing. Right. But it's clear that while the intelligence community played a very big role in implementing this raid, it does not appear he's listening to them in, in terms of how to manage this aftermath. And they would have argued the opposite if he would have said nothing. Like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And no credit for making the decision. Which, I mean, he was kind of pompous when he, he said those certain things and all the credit to the military and everything that went on when that occurred. Uh, getting Knocking that high pride target out. Yay for them. But, uh, yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Who's next? What is your reaction to the death of al-Baghdadi? Well, obviously it's a major milestone, and it's one that we all should be welcoming, quite plainly. But it doesn't mean that the fight against ISIS is over, uh, and it doesn't mean that we can declare mission accomplished uh, and, and just walk away. What we've seen time and time again in this part of the world is that when the pressure is relieved on terrorist organizations, whether al-Qaeda or ISIS, they are able to reconstitute. So we need to be vigilant. We need to maintain a, a minimal presence in order to ensure that the pressure stays on ISIS and they don't come back roaring. What, what, what? Susan Rice? You? Of all people? Saying uh, we should keep a minimal presence when you're part of a organization or a political party or a presidential party that some would argue 
began the rise of ISIS when it was all over and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's a fair point to make that uh, we're making the same mistakes we did last time. But uh, sounds like you were at a tarmac when you were making this uh, conversation and uh, Bill Clinton came to talk to you about grandchildren in a plane, right? Whenever his wife was under investigation for whatever. So uh, I'm going to take uh, any scruples from you, Susan. Next. Um, the president also said in his remarks that he planned or wanted to release some video of those last few moments of Baghdadi's life that he repeatedly uh, characterized, called him a dog, whimpering, crying. He wanted ISIS's followers to see him like that. Margaret, this is Would you advise on. this? This is piling on. This one of the, the one part of the president's remarks that did bother me was this continual piling on of humiliation. Of, a little bit of that is appropriate, but you're sending a signal to uh, some of his followers around the world that could cause them to lash out possibly more harshly in the wake you of You don't this. want a locker room kind of feel to this, right? And that was the one thing we worked really hard on after the Bin Laden raid, is don't make those kind of statements because it does inspire other people. Okay. All right. Yeah, you gave... Just, uh, piling on... Uh, show a lot of respect so that how'd that work out by the way was there ever a mass like where where people or terrorists like running cars into people did that ever stop did the bombings ever stop did the beheadings ever stop did the anything ever stop that you you know properly buried Osama bin Laden um, no I don't think I have any issues with what went down but thanks a lot media um, and even even the uh, Saturday Night Live had an ill-timed skit to where they basically had um, whoever plays Donald Trump um, doing a making making ISIS great again skit uh, with the comedian that made fun of Dan Crenshaw's eye um, issue, and that was about hours before Baghdadi was uh, killed. So uh, yeah, they uh, did not time that too well. In addition, uh, a, a reporter associated with Obama tried to basically insinuate that Trump was not there during the decision-making process. He's like, oh, look, the photo says 5-0-whatever, and he was golfing at the... That means the raid should have happened at 3.30, and blah, 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 blah. Come to find out he was a artard hitter, post a retraction, as they always do. Um, yeah, you know, no credit for the old media whatsoever. Um Speaking of no credit for the media, and um, so the Dems on the on impeachment gate, uh, Dems are basically calling the bluff of the Republicans. Republicans went outside the uh, area where the Democrats are holding their meetings, um, their interviews with the whistleblowers and whoever else they can get their hands on. Um, said, "Hey, we want to be a part of this." Apparently, this is part. This is the process. Like they do their and they do their stuff prior to, and then they go to committee. And then they, you know, hash it out in front of the public, take it for a vote, then it goes to the Congress. Well, um, well, no, it's not going to happen. They're going straight from the back closed door meetings to take a vote on um, on the impeachment inquiry. So Pelosi, I guess, thinks she has enough votes to get it out of the House into the Senate. And if there's enough wavering uh, Senate people, um, Trump will be impeached. But yeah, you knew this was going to happen from the get go. That it was going to go to the House. They were going to vote on it. Um, it was going to happen. There's no way you could not do this. So it goes to the Senate for McConnell to hold up, and that's probably where this will all get aired out in public, where we'll see everything. Apparently there's a damning report from a uh, 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 somebody, somebody that had heard the report and says that parts of the transcript 
uh, or the parts of the conversation are not on the transcript that we're on. Who knows? Who cares? Wait and see. Don't give the media any credit. Don't listen to the bullshit. Um, is what it is. Wait and make your own opinion. See all the facts for yourself and do whatever. Got to take a little break. Going to get back to some more news after this. In a good news story of the week, it looks like the Covenant Catholic team, the same judge that threw the lawsuit out, apparently reopened the case. So, um, attorney for Covenant Catholic teen reacts to judge opening reopening lawsuit against Washington Post. Uh, Nicholas Sandman will not be able to repair his reputation without proceeding with his lawsuits against the Washington Post and other media outlets. Apparently, they stumbled across or um, Washington Post or whoever. The defendants are didn't provide all the information during discovery, so there they go. A Texas jury decided to um, allow the fact that a uh, a mother can transition their seven year old sons against the dad's consent. They've separated. Um, they put a gag order on the dad, um, saying, "Hey, this, that, and the other." There was apparently good news, but it's not good news. But uh, a jury ruled against a Texas father attempting to stop his seven-year-old son from a gender transition being facilitated by uh, Dr. Ann Gorgulis, a boy's mother and younger's ex-wife, with a consensus of 11 of 12 jurors. Why not? How could 11 people see this? Uh, the jury decided not to grant Mr. Younger sole managing conservatorship of his uh, two twin boys. And you've seen photos and stuff like that after the fact. And why parents on their right mind of any sort and shape, form, or fashion would force this on small children is stupid. Uh, you see all the library, uh, transgender library stuff. You hear all these um, transitioning things about early children. People are actually humoring their children when they say, hey, I'm, daddy, I'm a boy. Like, okay, you're a boy. Or, hey, daddy, I'm a girl. Oh, you're a girl. Um, suicide rate is astronomically high in this community um, with people that identify or, or don't know who they are when they go into their body. And then you also... A bunch of the sterilization stuff that they give uh, the children results in higher suicide rates. And the majority or a high percentage of individuals never wish that they trans or transitioned. So uh, why this is even a thing, it boggles my mind. Uh, according to LifeSite News, Gorgulis has been granted authority to move forward with puberty blockers, which can cause chemical gastration and potentially hormones if she so chooses. Um Gorgulous lawyers Jessica Janik and Laura Hayes said the mother does not plan on giving hormone blockers at the time. However, no one stated uh, would not be able to use them when James begins puberty, which would be around age 11, um, which is kind of where it's going. The dad was ordered to, to, to do a gag order, um, and I think the judge or the, the governor stepped in 
Mr. Abbott saying, Hey, what's going on? And it kind of got swept in or it's getting swept under the rug or, or they went quiet with it. It's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, not too good. Um, talked about the impeachment stuff already. Um, they're basically doing all that stuff in, in secret. Uh, minimum wage. All right. Um, it has consequences, folks. Target employees won the fight for 15, but they weren't ready for the trade-offs. Under pressure from activists, Target's announced in September that it would hike wages for all uh employees in at least 15 hour by 2020 it's a major victory for the fight for 15 a win that was supposed to have repercussions in retail and fast food workers everywhere armament is un- unstoppable a minneapolis 5 for 15 organizer told people i got that dollar raise but i'm getting 200 less my paycheck lol a target um uh, named heather told cnn heather's hours have been cut from about 40 per week to around 20 uh she's hardly alone cnn uh has interviewed 23 Target employees in the past month. Many tell the same story. They're working few hours and have lost employees' benefits as a result. Target only provides health insurance benefits to workers who average at least 30 hour, or thirty hours a week. It's almost as though hourly wages are only one part of a worker's compensation and that hiking wages might cause other unintended consequences. Unlike businesses and states that have recently set higher minimum wages, Target made the decision to raise their wages voluntarily. So it's likely the company undertook his decision with a more holistic view of how to compensate its employees and how to offset a wage increase with reductions in hours of benefits by overhauling its operations. CEO uh, John Mulligan told CNN that the company created more specialized positions focused on efficiency. Duh. Uh, It's also possible that the employees interviewed by CNN don't represent the norm across the more than 360,000 workers at Target stores in America. Probably. I mean, depends. Uh, in any company of that size, there will always be some people who are having their hours reduced while others are making taking on larger roles. Ah, whatever. But, yeah, you're taking, you're identifying 23 specific people. Yeah, people are going to lose hours. That's, that's a guarantee. Uh, the grid in California is shitty, apparently. Um, they are going through some wildfires out in the north, and there's about, they're doing basically... They're imposing blackouts, and they say they may have, may have to impose blackouts for the next 10 years. Uh, in case you need another reason not to live in California, the chief executive officer is a Pacific Gas and Electric Corp., which those individuals, they just put out press release and statements saying, hey, stop trying to run our guys off the road or assaulting our people or doing whatever because they're out there turning off the electricity to stop fires. Um, now says the company may have to impose blackouts for the next 10 years. NPR reported that Bill Johnson, CEO, told energy regulators at California's Public Utilities Commission the company needed more time to trim trees and update technology to prevent future forest fires. In the meantime, the company would have to impose blackouts. Uh, PG&E filed for bankruptcy in January. Months later, investigators determined that it was the company's electrical transmission lines that caused fires that sparked the raging fires in California last November. Johnson reportedly said the meeting could take 10 years for the power outages to be ratcheted down significantly. Earlier, the company shut off power for millions of northern and central California residents during the high winds to avoid other fires. At the time, Johnson could continue to insist the blackout was necessary to prevent wildfires at, as high winds swept the state. He predicted at 6 p.m. that 98% of the affected customers would have the lights back on by midnight. During that blackout, which lasted three days, but was originally scheduled for six, uh, six days? Wow. People f- uh, faced six hours, maybe. I'm not sure. People faced spoiled food, loss of income, that business had to shut down. One man died after he was unable to get his battery-operated uh, oxygen machine operating. Family was aware the power outage was coming, 
but was not prepared for the power to cut off at 3.30 a.m. The coroner ruled the death was caused by the man's health issues and not by the power outage. Uh, but the family obviously disagreed. Uh, PG&E may shut off powers to residents to cover 17 California counties due to another round of high winds. The company said a significantly smaller number of residents would have their power shut off than the outage earlier of the month. Uh, they call the Onlage Public Safety Power Shutoff events. Johnson wrote a letter to the Public Utilities Commission that the company understands how difficult further outages would be for residents. We recognize the hardships that the recent PSPS event caused for millions of people and want to continue working with all key shareholders to lessen this burden going forward. At the same time, we ask our customers and their families and our local and state leaders to keep in mind that statistics ma that matter most. I guess. There are no catastrophic wildfires. During the last outage, host Brian Edwards laid out how PG&E was responsible for the ongoing pain for Californians. He reported that the company neglected its equipment, which sparked the wildfires. The company told a judge earlier this year that it needed to conduct inspections and maintenance on its equipment, but by October had only completed one-third of what was necessary. The maintenance includes trimming trees near power equipment. The situation California has found itself in was mostly preventable had PG&E properly maintained its transformers and electrical towers. Now thousands and potentially millions of Californians will have their power shut off throughout the next 10 years. Can't vote in the dark, folks. Have fun with that one. Um, strikes in California, or strikes in Chicago. Uh, teacher strikes have gone past a week. Um, they are asking for crazy shit. Um, and their, their mayor is like a self, like a black lesbian chick Democrat. Um, and there, there are democratic presidential campaign, uh, campaigners joining the picket lines against that democratic mayor saying, Hey, why don't you give them the money? Chicago is apparently strapped for cash. Uh, can't provide the money and can't meet the demands of what they're asking for. So, yay, Chicago. Uh, over 300,000 kids been roaming around the streets and having a, having a great old time uh, not having to deal with uh, that pesky school or that pesky education. Who needs that? Um, and last but not least... Uh, the 2020 race is shaping up. Looks like it's Biden, Warren, and Sanders. Sanders is back in there for some reason after a heart attack. Um, but Elizabeth Warren is was the media darling for a second, and basically she's going to get, if she's versus Trump, she's going to get ripped apart for the Pocahontas stuff, and she's just literally not an honest person. She's pretty, like, she's very smart, but she's not, she's not honest. She's very intellectual, but she's not honest. Um, the Democratic candidate knows that stories of insurance being withdrawn are not illustrative of examples of a serious problem. If you want to run for office, political consultants will hammer away at one point, tell stories, people respond to the stories, we tend, ah, whatever. Don't care. Um, the bottom line with her is, is that she was able, she, basically, Trump goaded her into conducting a DNA test. She went, posted online, she was less than one one-thousandth Native American, and that's like Mexican or Colombian or whatever it was, and Trump was able to drive her to do that. And she stuck with it, right? And she got all of her, a lot of her laurels and benefits and everything is because she's a Native American. She's not. She's a liar. And she doesn't believe a lot of the shit that she says. And a lot of shit that she says is way on the left. Um, I think that's going to end it. Have fun with the outro. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lord knows I did. Bye. Is this the just fantasy
Caught in a landslide No escape from reality Open your eyes Look up to the skies and see I'm just a cool Because I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Yeah.